This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. So, folks, this is just a, a promo here to let you know that uh, I'm on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes with these podcasts. I'd like to uh, disseminate these to more people. So, if you pass the word on uh, SoundClouds and iTunes and subscribe, I'd appreciate it very much. And thank you very much, and uh, thanks for listening. Hi, folks. This is uh, Dennis Connor coming to you from Specialty Produce Network. I hope you enjoy today's uh, discussion. It's one of my favorite parts of all of sailing that has to do with the sails. To me, the sails uh, are by far the most uh, interesting part of the three or four components that go into winning sailboat races. We know that without a good boat and uh, without a good crew, pretty hard to win. But with the uh, coup de grace is really in the sales. And uh, I think that's what uh, has made the difference for me over the years is just my interest in the sales and the uh, ability to go out and test on the water. I'm not the kind of guy that knows how to engineer a faster boat or design a faster uh, lifting appendage or uh, uh, build a boat lighter in the ends. I'm more of a sales guy. So thinking of sales, the S-A-I-L-S version, uh, you know, we can go back. I'm not a history buff, but I can remember seeing the pictures of the Lantine boats with a single uh, boom uh, coming out of the boat and uh, colored sails. I think that those sails were probably some sort of uh, Egyptian cotton. And I'm not sure why they were in different color. It may have been the natural color of the wool or uh, the, the, what, what they were made of. But then we uh, have seen the uh, sails made of uh, palm leaves. We saw the Polynesians, who are often credited for being the first people here to discover North America and sailing from the Polynesian islands uh, using uh, rudimentary uh, equipment to capture the wind. I think it's, uh, it's interesting, this little sidelight. So I'm often uh, asked about uh, bananas on a boat. And being here at Specialty uh, Produce, I noticed that the uh, Harrington boys, they, they know about bananas. They keep the bananas uh, well separated from all the other fruits and vegetables. They're over there, and the, if you want to visit, they're over there with the potatoes where they can't make things get, uh, get bad. And I think what the deal is on that is that when the Polynesians first uh, started coming over here, they had to have fruit, of course, to eat. And they found uh, out quickly that if the bananas were near other fruits, that the other fruits got uh, spoiled and rotten uh, much quicker. So that, that's why on boats is uh, not looked upon in, uh, as a great thing to bring aboard a banana because it makes everything else uh, go bad and it's uh, spilled over to all walks of uh, of life, and including the the uh, 
produce here at uh, specialty uh, produce. So I'm in the sales. Okay, so when when I was a young man, the, the sales were uh, were cotton. Hard hard to believe, but when I had a dire dink when I was four years old, I kind of, that's where I learned how to sail. Mass came apart. Every time I tipped over, I, I ripped my sail. So I had to go over there and be nice to Herb Sinhofer, who was our local uh, sailmaker who put up with me. His uh, loft was contingent, contiguous to the San Diego Yacht Club. Uh, now it's a parking lot. But uh, he, he let me come in there and, and help me uh, repair my old uh, cotton sail. And if he wasn't available, I went over to see Mopsy Baker, who was uh, upstairs uh, in a small loft at the very beginning of Shelter Island Drive. So there were a couple of old uh, line sailmakers available here. When Herb uh, retired, he sold his business to Elton Ballas. So for those of you that go back far enough to know uh, Sinhofer, Baker, Ballas Sales, those were the beginning of the uh, old line sailmakers. And in those days, I think you give you some idea of uh, how far things have come, the, uh, not only were the uh, sails uh, cotton and in very narrow panels, and the the bolt rope has made a big change. The the, the part of the sail that is, uh, is used to hold the sail to the mast, uh, one way or the either with a sail slug or with a groove. And, and now uh, we used to have to sew, if you can believe this, we had to sew that bolt rope to the sail. So imagine going through a piece of, Manila or whatever the bolt rope was, that, and uh, sewing that down through the uh, basically the luff of the sail. Maybe it had a little extra reinforcing tape on there to hold hold the bolt rope to the sail. And uh, then when we came to the corners, that was a a bit of an issue too because we had to make uh, kringles to uh, hold the the uh, bronze rings to the corners of the sail. So we actually had to take uh, braid and. Well, wax wax it all up and, and uh, twirl it into a uh, circle that could be uh, pressed into the to the uh, hole cut in the sail and sewed down before you put the bronze ring into the sail that you could attach your uh, the tack or the or the clue or the head too. So so many changes uh, from uh, much for the better than. Uh, 70 years ago when I, I was messing around uh, with the little wooden boats. So the, we saw the sails go from cotton. Uh, just uh, the, the first evolution that I can remember was, uh, was Orlon. So we went from cotton to Orlon, and again, very narrow panels. And if you could get a bowl of material, I think from the Bainbridge boys, it could have been the ones that had the, the uh, Orlon, you you can then make a sale. Wow, this is like carbon, 3DI, 3DL, everything. The, the best thing since sliced bread, you could uh, get the, this new man-made fiber, this Orlon, as opposed to canvas, and it didn't stretch as much. It lasted longer, and this is really the bee's knees when it came for uh, sale-making material. So we used that uh, Orlon for a relatively short period of time, this uh, acrylic uh, fiber really uh, is is what it was. The, uh, the we went to Dacron. Dacron, what is that? Again, another uh, man-made fiber that was the basis for the sail material for 
oh gosh, the sailcloth of choice and and still is uh, for many boats from uh, I, I'm not sure, but approximately 50 years ago. As a matter of fact, on my uh, on my cruising yacht that I really one of my my favorite boats, Splendor, I have a uh, Dacron sail. Hard to believe, this is honest truth. Uh, built one of the very first sails. It must have been one of the very first sails built by Lowell North or by Paul Merle or uh, Charlie Rogers there at the North Loft. And the uh, this sail is uh, signed with uh, by Lowell North. The sailmakers used to sign the sails personally, I guess when they measure them to uh, uh, validate their, their, uh, uh, that they were the right size. Well, uh, the Dacron main that I'm still using, a board splinter, when my share of races with this, uh, 19, must have been late 70s or early 80s, made by uh, Lowell, it still looks darn good. I, it, it's gotten a little fuller, so I, I did uh, flatten it out a little bit in the rod seam and took a little luff curve out to fit the mast a little better. But it, it still looks very, very, very good. So... We went to the the Dacron, and then we saw the bolt rope uh, come, the ni- nylon bolt rope sewed to tape, basically uh, that then the tape, uh, one side of the tape could, to the other could go over the edge of the sail, be sewn down, and the uh, uh, much easier to sew the sail slides or to slip this into a, a groove than the, the old uh, braided uh, bolt rope that we used to use. So we've seen a big uh, change uh, from the cotton to not such a big change to Orlon, a man-made acrylic, but then to Dacron. And then uh, now we see these new exotic uh, materials, uh, derivatives of of, uh, carbon. So with that as a background in in the material, let's uh, talk about how these sails were uh, actually put together to make the boat uh, go through the water. It used to be just anything up there, palm frond or a, a board would make the boat go. But to make it go even better, you had to have some shape to the sail. Because this would bend the uh, bend the wind around the sail, and uh, the vector that made the boat go forward was what really determined the speed of the boat. So we've um, seen, uh, basically from the time, I, uh, I hate to keep dating myself, but when when I first uh, started with the America's Cup, there were really only uh, there was really only two sailmakers. That was uh, Hood and uh, Ratsy, and of course Ted Hood, a renowned creative genius, innovator, engineer, slash built boat builder, slash boat designer, slash sailmaker. He he, he was uh, kind of the, the standard, if you would. Uh, for large boats and particularly specializing in uh, 12 meters along with Ratsy, uh, Ernest and Colin Ratsy in City Island, where our good friend Jack Sutphin uh, cut his teeth there uh, out of Mamaroneck. Uh, they, they also knew how to make and build very good, fast cotton sails. But it, it was interesting to me that the both Ratsy and uh, Hood, they just sewed the sails together from what we call a broad same standpoint on a straight uh, line, just matching the 
Imagine taking a one-inch ruler and uh, drawing a line and then overlapping the sails, the, the, the panels, and sewing them down. And so they would just uh, have what you call a flat panel sail. And the way they got the uh, draft in the sail is they would put curves, <coughs> excuse me, in, in the luff of the sail or the foot of the sail. And so when that went on, a, uh, if you put a nice curve, a left curve on the sail, and you put it on a flat mast, straight mast, of course you have extra material. And that cotton, they knew how it would stretch. That cotton would stretch and blow back into the sail into the, the, the right shape. So depending upon the, the, the left curve that these guys, uh, Colin and uh, Ted, decided, or, and the, the, their Lee Van Gurman or Jack Seppin decided to use, they uh, – that determined the shape of the sail, but there were there were no there was no uh, broad seaming in the sail as we know it today. So, so Lowell North he had the idea of how to build these sails using uh, one edge of the panel material and a curved line. So, you you if you take a curved line and you sew it to a straight line, you could see how it would it wouldn't fit very well. Well, not fit, fitting f- flat anyway. It w- it would be like pinching the material, and that made the fullness into the sail. So you had the, the fullness actually cut into the uh, uh, sail as uh, to match uh, to help you decide where the shape should actually go, along with the foot curve and the uh, and the left curve. And so this was a whole new uh, way of building sails. This and when he showed up at the America's Cup and uh, with these uh, new sails, they were pretty quick. Especially, I remember the mains, the uh, Genoa's, as being being fast, as opposed to the mainsails being any real difference. In uh, you can't say for sure that the broad seaming method that Lowell used was different than the stretch and bluff curve system that Ratsy and and uh, Hood favored. I can't say the mains were uh, that much different. As a matter of fact, in the 19, uh, 1974 America's Cup, uh, Ted uh, and I were the afterguard of Courageous, and the uh, Courageous folks, Bob McCullough, and, and the people on board started uh, gravitating uh, more and more towards north. The, the, they were they were seemed to have a little edge in, li- in light air. But the uh, final race of the America's Cup trials between ourselves and Intrepid to see who would get to go to the America's Cup, uh, Ted uh, really took uh, the lead and, and took in charge the sail inventory. And uh, we had both a hood main and a north main laying on the deck, as customarily we did when we left the dock, and tip off the competition what we were going to use. So on the toe out, it was blowing. It was a nasty, nasty southwest breeze. Uh, as as uh, those of you that have sailed in Newport can understand, with the outgoing tide, it, it wasn't pleasant. And with the rain and fog, it, it was a uh, not a nice day. And so Bob McCullough, I remember him calling over to uh, speak to us. He says, "Okay, it's time to." Uh, Let's get that hood main off here and get that north sail set. He, as uh, our syndicate head, he had the power to tell us what to do, 
And uh, I remember Ted picking up the phone or uh, telling uh, telling me to tell uh, Bob McCullough, Commodore Bob McCullough, that uh, we're going with what we've got, and it's got an H on the sail, not a north. So here's Ted uh, uh, deciding to uh, go with the, his own brand in the last race, everything on the line. He had the nerve and husband to uh, decide to go with his uh, hood sail. And we went out there, and it was a na- and it was a hard, hard, hard race. But our post uh, speed was okay. Intrepid maybe slightly faster, but with, thanks to Halsey Hersoff, uh, we were able to tack a little short. Uh, we, we may have been behind, and in the fog, uh, we found the buoy right in front of us, right where Halsey said it would be. And Intrepid uh, had overstood. We went around the buoy. It was a reach uh, to the. In those days, it was a triangular course, reached to the next mark and reached down. We went around the leeward mark with a 35, 40-second lead and uh, just stayed between the competition and the and where we thought the mark would be, as you might imagine, and went on to uh, win the trials. And the, the uh, significance of this story is that we won uh, that final race with a, uh, with a uh, hood uh, sail, uh, Dreamed up and conceived by Ted, as opposed to the broad seeming that where where Lowell had uh, figured out mathematically uh, how to do all this. So that that that's uh, this uh, little subset of uh, the history of how we got to be making the sales, and so from say fifty years ago till now, and in still a lot of places, this is how sales were made. So what happened next? What happened next is that in the quest to build lighter, stronger sails, because we know weight aloft is bad. We've talked about that. Uh, they've come up with this um, method. I, I'm not sure who really created it. Uh, Tom Wooden could tell you from North. But then basically North came up with this idea of how to put threads of carbon down on the mylar and uh, in a curved pattern much and make the shape uh, go in there based upon the denier of the of the material, and how the how the material was laid down on the load lines of the sail. To um, imagine taking a piece of mylar and sticking the uh, fiber to the mylar, and then put another layer of mylar or more layers of mylar on top of that, and that was the genesis of the uh, these uh, woven, if you will, sails with the exotic uh, material, and and so that, that's really. You know, basically, uh, where we are now and the technology that um, uh, is employed at the top level are these uh, very exotic, light, strong sails that uh, uh, 50 years ago we never would have dreamt that it could ever have happened. So that, that, that's, that's the construction of the sails. Now, the next part of this of the sails here is, is one thing to have a good sail, but it's another thing uh, on how to use it on how to use it, and that has to do with the uh, control of the sails them, themselves, the, 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 the spars, and the, how the spars bend. So this has become a huge industry, the, um, the mast, basically, business. And we, we went from wood to uh, aluminum and now into carbon and uh, other exotics, and Unfortunately, I think that this is one of the things that's driven the costs of the boats up astronomically that we would have 
been better if we had n- never had it, and that's my personal opinion. But the, these carbon uh, spars are incredibly uh, strong, and they're, uh, depending upon how they're, they're engineered, they can bend in different ways and how the spreaders are attached, of course, and if the, sometimes the spreaders move forward and aft and uh, affect the mass bend. And why this is so critical is that the, the, the mass bend uh, not only affects the shape of the main, like we've talked about, if the mass is able to bend and can be controlled either with lower running backstays or by moving the mast at the deck at the partner or with a permanent backstay, if you pull on your permanent backstay, the, uh, the, uh, of course the top of the mast will bend, but if the mast is stiff enough, the whole mast will bend. So that permanent backstay is a uh, key part of, of the mast bend, but if that's all there was to it, that would be fine, but that's not. Because when you pull on that backstay, you also are um, loading up the headstay. Something's holding that mast up, and uh, when you pull on those on that backstay, or the uh, running backstay, or in some ways uh, pull back on the uh, spreaders, you're making that headstay tighter. And when you make that headstay tighter. It affects the whole performance of the of the jib. We'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, see, they're all so it's all interconnected and very uh, important that you have you know how it all works together, or you're just going to be slow. And it's not only the size too, you know, of the of these sails that matters. It it's um, how the sail looks after it's bent and, and uh, as the wind comes up. And I've been sailing a six meter a bit. I'm hoping to go to the six meter worlds in Vancouver in September, and in the six meter, there's very little uh, mid girth restrictions. You can have a big, big mid girth in a six meter, a, a wide width of the sail, and so if you you can make your big mid girth, but uh, the battens, if you're only if you can only have the battens so long and so and the dimensions of the battens are set by rule, you you can't keep you can't hold that mid girth out there. So as you trim harder on the main when it's windy, the, the sail actually kind of collapses inward because of the pressure of the leech and all that extra sail in the back. And then the sail actually gets fuller, the mainsail, just opposite of what you would want to have. Uh, you, you, when, it's, when it's windy like that, you, you don't want uh, your, your sail fuller. You want it flatter. And in that regard, of course, we've seen the sails get flatter, 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 flatter. And flatter. If I, I ever saw the shape of a sail uh, that we're using today, 30 years ago on Stinger, I would have thought, how is this thing ever going to make the boat go? But we found that these flat sails, uh, they really work. And, and uh, sometimes it's hard to get them too flat. I mean, they're really uh, incredible. So you have to have, uh, getting back to the six meter, if you have a big roach and you, you pull hard on the leech, the sail will collapse because the battens are uh, limited by rule, and then your sail gets fuller. If you don't have a mast that you can bend, then you, you go slow and, and when it's windy. So there's a, a big compromise here in, the, uh, in not only the, the shape of the sail, but the, the size. The size of the sails also matter. 
So the, there, there's a, a, a lot to go goes into this. So we, we talked now about uh, the material, talked a little bit about the construction, although we just touched on that 3DI and 3DL and the, the gauntlets that they used to lay this down and how those, these sails are all made. Now there's a lot more to it. And if you're really technically uh, or, oriented and you really want to know uh, more about this, Tom Whitten and uh, Gary Jobson have collaborated on a, uh, a couple of very good uh, uh, books on how the sales are actually made and uh, give you a lot more detail information than the half hour I've tried to uh, spend with you so far. So uh, I highly recommend just go online and you can get a, a Tom Whitten uh, uh, book on, on sale making uh, at Amazon. So now, so we talked a bit about the the main, although we just touched uh, basically on the on the uh, uh, battens. The battens are uh, also very important part of the main. The and most people are really at the top level of the sport have several sets of battens, and they have to do with the elasticity, the stiffness, if you will, of of the. Uh, of the uh, batten because that that helps the keeps the leech of straight or sometimes too straight. You probably had people call up there and hey boy that batten's way too stiff because then at the top of the sail is usually they're referring to the top batten. If if it's too stiff, there's no shape there and just you can, you can, it just doesn't look right and and you think it's slow so. Battens are an uh, important part. When you order a sail, you might uh, think about at least uh, making sure that you have a softer, more flexible top batten for light air that you can keep in the build and switch out if the wind gets light or it starts out light, you have a stiffer one to put in as it gets windy. So I'm just going to leave the mainsail uh, for now. And uh, we can come back and touch on some of the fine points, like the reef points and how to reef, and, uh, et cetera. But I don't think it's uh, germane right now to to this conversation because we got to talk about uh, gentleness now. So again, th- this is not cut and dry uh, science project for me. I, I have to. I just don't know for sure what I'm going to try to tell you about. I'm, I just don't know. But uh, because I saw that Lowell North, he thought that a gentle luff length of the sail, the, the, the uh, longer the luff length, the more powerful the sail. And so when you could change rakes, I saw him on several boats, uh, let the uh, head stay loose more rake so that he get uh, longer uh, uh, luff, luff lengths. And also I think the angle of attack, the angle of attack that the jib – meets the wind is important. And I, I'm pretty certain that Lowell thought that the more vertical the angle of attack was, the the faster. Because when he fir, uh, first uh, basically was the skipper and took over Intrepid, he, he uh, moved the head stay back. He moved the bed, head stay back, which uh, shortened the uh, uh, size of the uh, jib, of course, 
but also made it more vertical. And he thought that that was a good thing to have. So the head stay length and the head stay position as far as uh, verticality is important uh, in the performance of these sales. I'm not sure. I, I tried it. I couldn't tell the difference. I couldn't really t- tell the difference. And uh, in regards to like 12-meter language, the Intrepid had a 22-and-a-half-foot J, and we had a 24-foot J to give you some idea uh, on uh, most of our 12-meters, uh, Freedom, Enterprise, etc. So about a foot-and-a-half difference in the, over uh, 25 feet. So yeah, significant uh, difference. Okay, so now let's talk about the uh, the shape, the shape of the sail, and the shape of the sail depends a lot on on your type of boat and uh, what, what you've got. If you have a boat that you uh, can't uh, uh, keep your head stay tight because for whatever reason the uh, mast is too soft or the the, the uh, uh, wire is stretching. The mast is soft. If you can't, if you can't uh, control your head stay, you have to have a compromise in the luff curve. And, and basically, the idea is that the more your head stay sags, the more luff curve that you have to have in the sail to uh, flatten this out. If you have a nice straight head stay, you can imagine you can have some. You can have a fuller sail off the off the uh, wire. And uh, because you could control it, you can let it a little looser, like in an Etchells. For instance, some boats, uh, Etchells, J105s, J24s, they sail much better with a loose head stay. So this is making the sail fuller than what the sail was designed. So they've never really changed this, the uh, design of the sail because this, this works. You're able to let that head stay loose. And making the sail fuller, but I think that also this also uh, changes the angle of attack of the sail hitting the wind. So if you let the sail sag to leeward, it's hitting the wind at a different angle, and you, in essence, you can point higher because the clue is in the same place. So you're like moving the jib leads in when you let this uh, sail sag off to leeward, and in in an Etchells, I mean, it, it literally, it looks like it's ridiculous. There's nothing holding the mast up. Sometimes when you out in the ocean off Point Loma, you, it looks like there's uh, four, five, six inches of head stay sag. They think, oh, why don't they tighten that head stay? Which, of course, you can do uh, quite easily. But if you do that, you're going to slow down. So a few tips on how do you, how do you tighten your head stay? How, how does this work? Well, it changes a little bit uh, depending on the type of boat, like a Beneteau with uh, swept back spreaders, obviously if you tighten the upper shrouds and the spreaders are swept back, you're going to be tightening the head stay. Where in an Etchells, if you uh, want to have a head stay uh, sag, if you move the shrouds forward on the chain plates, there's not as much pulling back on the on the head stay and the uh, pressure will be relieved and you, you can let the uh, uh, fullness uh, uh, the sag we call it into the sail, and you'll be in light air almost hard to have too much sag. And this is the same control really with the lower side shrouds on your 
on your mane, by the way. Talked about mane and mane control. If you loosen your lower lower uh, side shrouds, if you have those on your mast, some boats uh, have these, to control the lower panel. If you loosen those, the mast will sag to leeward uh, and the uh, sail will get uh, fuller. Also, that loose rig, that, that lo- those loose shrouds seem to uh, make it easier to uh, con- control the head stay. And, and there's a lot of speed there in, in, in the head stay. As far as the setting of the sail, it's pretty straightforward. But I think most everybody knows they can look up at the sail and the leech has a twist to it and falling off on the head sole. And maybe the lead has to go forward. But what the real, I think one of the real tests is, is where is the sail luffing first? If you have some telltale windows, and I think most of you uh, know what those are, uh, basically a window with a woolly on it, that can tell you what the flow is doing on the, on the sail. If the uh, top of the sail is uh, luffing before the bottom of the sail, in other words, if your windward telltale on the top of the sail is uh, out there floating uh, and not attached to the sail, then the uh, t- uh, lead generally would have to go forward because the top is too full and it's not being uh, tightened properly to get the most out of your sail. And cons- uh, the other way, of course, is if uh, if it's stalled uh, up there, then you have to move the lead aft a little bit more twist. And uh, if you follow this basic rule there of looking at, at your sail and see where it's luffing first, if you, if it's luffing first on the top, move, move the lead forward. And if it's luffing first at the bottom, then move the lead aft. So that's the general rule on the uh, sheet position where the sail is actually trimmed on the boat. So the other thing that affects that, that trim, though, you have to be careful of, is, is the hired position. Because the hired uh, affects the draft of the sail and is often used to, to control the sail's shape, either fuller or flatter, by the tension on the, on the hired. So if you pull, if you have your sail up basically all the way up, and now you pull it up a couple more inches, you'll see that the tension on the, along the luff of the sail has increased. And what this does is it really pulls the draft forward in the sail. It makes the draft uh, and, and flattens it. So like taking a paper towel or whatever, if you pull on the edge there, you're going to see the, the tension. And you often see uh, boats like a laser or uh, uh, some small dinghies when they uh, start out. The luff is quite tight, but it blows back when the mast bends and, and the wind uh, 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 comes on. So the the, the higher tension also uh, of the sail will allow the uh, draft to go aft. And the, when that happens, the sail, in essence, the, from the way the wind sees it, the, the sail is become, becomes fuller. So as a general rule in uh, light air, you would have uh, sag as much as you dare or whatever's fast after you've sailed the boat against some other, other folks. You have, you have a soft tension. You move your shrouds forward so the, the uh, mass is uh, n- not forced to bend. And uh, this will make a big difference in, the, in your, your speed. 
And going back, just moving to regress a little bit, like in a J105 or an Etchells, not only do we move the when we want it as the wind comes up, the Australians particularly like to have a tighter rig, and they would move their uppers from in front of the uh, lowers to aft, sometimes two holes, which is about two, three inches aft, and they tighten the heck out of their rigging. And they use a, uh, a gauge uh, to uh, know how to replicate the tension, a tension gauge, uh, to um, make the, the, these uh, tensions the same as uh, the wind velocity changes. So if you uh, all of a sudden you're blowing 20 and the wind goes down to 10, you, you, can, you can know how many uh, turns to take off your shrouds to, to make the uh, mast easier to bend and the head stay easier to uh, sag. But you, you can overdo this too because don't forget, when you tighten those shrouds to um, basically keep the mast from falling sideways out of the boat, you're also putting compression on the on the spar. You're, you're pulling the mast down. So you're, you're really like, – Imagine like taking a uh, pencil or, and you push on one end and the other, it might bend. Well, if you tighten these shrouds too much, you're going to get compression uh, down in the spar, and it might, it might actually make it even harder to, harder to control. So you're getting the idea, a lot, a lot going into this, and this is uh, where the speed, where the sailors can get this extra speed out of the boat uh, and the more sophisticated people and the more sophisticated folks that know how to uh, set their mast up as far as the tension on the side shrouds, the lower side shrouds, the mast at the deck, the amount of bend in the uh, uh, permanent backstay and in the check stays, this is where the uh, difference really is coming. If you see a guy pointing a little higher or lower, it's not just that he might have his traveler up on the center line a little more than you. It's a... Uh, uh, the total setup. Where is the boom on the center line? How about the twist? What about the fullness? What about the draft position? And this works, uh, of course, with the, the same with with your Genoa in, in lighter air, more sag in the Genoa, less halyard tension. Move the leads forward. All of this will go into powering your boat up, especially in uh, conditions like in Newport, Rhode Island, in light air, San Diego. A little bit off uh, Miami, not so much in, in Key West or Biscayne Bay, where you have <clears throat> you, know, you have smooth water. The uh, this doesn't make as uh, big an apparent difference in, in the speed. It's, it seems to be where you, you need more or less power to make the boat go. You're not up on the uh, inside of the telltales like you can be, where you have more than enough power in uh, places of smooth water. So uh, we've touched a, a bit on the Genoa. What about uh, the spinnakers? Well, spinnakers are, uh, are are a different breed of animal as well. It, it used to be that we thought uh, that the and basically you build a nice light sail out of... Uh, material and put it up there and, and they all went about the same speed. Although we saw that size made a big difference. We know from racing in the 12 meters and all the testing that we did that bigger is not necessarily better. We uh, tested sails that were 
in the uh, 12 meter, you can have any size spanker you want. Doesn't really matter any mid girth size. It can't be bigger on the hoist, but the mid girth can uh, be any size you want. So we uh, started with uh, kind of the, the standard benchmark size, which was 42 and a half feet in a 12 meter. And we, that's where we spent an awful lot of our time and energy and money testing these sails downwind. Very dip- difficult to get uh, the same results all the time. It has, there's the variable of the, how the people on the boats are trimming the sails and how, you know, the height of the pole and so on. We'll talk about that in, in a minute. But the uh, size of the sail definitely can make a difference. We see uh, many boats that, where they have huge spinnakers, like a J, I would say a J120 has a, a very large spinnaker for the size of the boat. Well, they don't have a big sail inventory. I don't. I think they only carry one or two spinnakers, not not four or five. So they don't have uh, the opportunity to have smaller sails. But I've seen uh, times when I'm sure a smaller sail would be faster on a J120. And I see also the same in the uh, J105. I've seen uh, Dennis Case uh, use a much smaller sail. He's kind of the leader of our local San Diego J105 fleet. And in light air, the the, the big uh, A-sails, they just don't fly as well. And they, for some reason, they close off the slot. They're they're harder to ease. They collapse in the the swell as you go down the swell. So a smaller sail is is definitely faster. So we we experienced that same thing in the 12-meter, that a... uh, the smallest size sail we had was about 39 feet on the mid girth. And uh, we had sails about every six inches. It's stra- hard to believe. I know it sounds extravagant. But we had sails about every six inches, same design. And we went hour after hour. Uh, we would sail over to Block Island and on the 20 miles over and 20 miles back. And the, uh, to just test uh, different sizes as the wind would change to... Uh, reinforce what we we thought was right. So what we found is that uh, 42 and a half feet worked pretty well in eight, 10 knots of wind. We found that uh, reaching, that you could use a little bit bigger sail, just like a, a sail. You could have a bigger uh, sail reaching that was better than a small sail. So a 45-foot spinnaker would, would be faster than a 43-foot spinnaker if you were reaching in 12 knots of wind and you had plenty of stability. So we tested all these sizes from from uh, 39 feet up to 50 feet, and definitely uh, we settled out that 50 feet was too big, uh, 20% bigger, don't forget, than, than the uh, small sail. So we kind of we settled out at about 48 feet was the biggest sail that we, we could have. Uh, speed-producing sail that, that we, we could uh, have. So that narrowed the inventory down a, a little bit. So size of the sail, you'd normally think the bigger the better, but uh, not necessarily uh, 100% so, depending on the conditions and the point of sail. For sure, in the ocean, where you can get going too fast, and then the apparent wind goes forward, so you bear off, bear off, bear off, and then pretty soon you end up going uh, dead downwind because the sail you had was just was too big. It got you going too fast as the apparent wind belt 
uh, and so a smaller sail with more constant apparent wind would give you better uh, VMG. So what about the shape of the sails now? Well, gosh, this is uh, still evolving. I mean, we as many different uh, design uh, parameters as there are different ideas onto the actual shape of the sails. But generally, we went from symmetrical sails, uh, like uh, you've seen for many years, like on a J24 uh, type boat with symmetrical sails. We found that sails with longer luffs and shorter leeches, just like uh, Lowell was uh, trying to do with his Genoa, have a longer luff. The, the longer luff sails uh, with a shorter leech, basically what the Rulemakers have decided is is the same amount of sail area are faster, especially reaching. Uh, so they call these asymmetrical sails because they're they're not symmetrical. So the the, the asymmetrical uh, spinnakers have so many different uh, uh, factions to them. So n- now they're building asymmetrical sails that uh, basically are so good and so well designed. They could go upwind. You could use them upwind, except they're too wide. They're too wide in the top. So if you you could get them going upwind down down low, but if you pull them in tight, it closes the slot off between the main and the jib. So then they started making the a sails smaller. They call them code zeros. You've seen these sails so flat. That uh, they they look like jibs, but uh, they have to f- conform to the rule with a minimum. There's a minimum mid girth at the top of the sail that keeps the, uh, the sailmakers from basically turning these spinnaker, uh, loosely uh, terminology, into uh, large uh, genoas or uh, jib tops. So. We see very, very uh, close-reaching sails, smaller, of course, uh, quite flat, much like the shape of a uh, of a Genoa, and uh, they're, they're quite popular on uh, the high high level uh, yachts from the, the uh, big maxis, the hundred foot uh, boats to uh, the eighty footers to the Transpac fifty twos, and they, of course, uh, this technology filters down and now. You see them in a lot of the sport boats, the Mugga's 32s, and and uh, so on. Because if you have a sprit out there, you don't have to have the boat. You can just hold the sail out there, no weight or windage. and But you can uh, ha- have a, a much uh, bigger, uh, more powerful sail. So the, the, the shape of these sails, in, in general, closer to the wind, the, the uh, flatter, the, the sail, the more twist, and the sh- uh, shorter on the foot. And as the wind goes aft, of course, you can use a fuller sail. The, the sail itself, they're pretty good at making the sails uh, the right shape now. You can use a fuller sail, uh, larger. Of course, the lead, uh, the spinnaker will have to go aft. The, uh, the uh, uh, material itself will have to change because the the, the uh, sails that are built for close to the wind have to be stronger uh, construction as opposed to the sails that are lightly loaded for downwind 
where they meant the sailmakers like to make them as light and strong as they can. They used to uh, go to the work of making uh, a different denier in the uh, spinnaker material, uh, 30 denier one way and 20 denier the other, called it 30-20, so that the sail was was lighter. But now they've come up with the these, this half, they call it half ounce material, but it's really not half ounce. It's it's more like 0.65 or 0.7, depending upon who you buy it from. It's not half ounce. There is half ounce available if you really ask and plead it hard. Your sailmaker can get it for you, but it won't be it won't be as good for very long because it's it will stretch. So uh, that's why you don't see much really real half ounce uh, spinnakers now. When we uh, talk about the, 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 the spinnaker, we, we have to have some extra options that can make this sail better, like a leech cord. Leech cord can be a, an important factor in your sail. It not also help you uh, hold, keep the sail together. When it's windy, you can pull on that, take some of the uh, load off the luff. So the, the, the leech cord of the sails on these spinnakers, you have to keep your eye on them because – it's not only the sail stretches, but the material in the leech cord uh, itself will change. Sometimes you've, I've been on a boat where they have the uh, leech cord t- uh, tied to the, so tight it's never been adjusted, and it's, shr- it's shrunk up so much you don't even you can't even get it uh, untied. You can't even get it untied, and then when you do get it untied, it disappears up into the tabling of the sail, and you think, oh my gosh, what have I done now? And Back to the sailmaker, open the leech up, making an extension to that leech cord so that you can you can pull on it uh, one way or the other, and that often happens also with the the jib and the main, but not so much the, the main. If you just give it a little tug, and the leech won't flutter. And, uh, and sometimes in the general way, you can do that with the foot cord too. Might have to be a little more proactive with the leech cord in the general, but the leech cords in the uh, spinnakers are. Also equally important. Now, the setting of the spinnakers is more important. The other uh, sails we talked about are pretty basic. You know, you have a foot length. You got to put the outhaul on and got to pull your halyard up. You can't go beyond the bands. But to the spinnaker, you can uh, you have a little bit uh, more flexibility in how you set the sail. And I, I think that most people if, uh, would say that you should pull your sail up near the top of the mast, within a few inches of the top of the mast. Sometimes in, in a masthead rig in smooth water, you can let that halyard out. And if I, I like to use a uh, rule of thumb that if the halyard is going straight out from the top of the mast, that's a good thing because it gets the sail a little further away from the main. But when that, if you let the halyard down and the sail starts coming at a downward angle, that's too much. So you can pull your sail all the way up. And uh, if it's fairly smooth water, it doesn't work as well when it's rough, you can let that higher down a little bit uh, uh, to, to uh, get the, the sail further from the top of the mast. Now, of course, uh, uh, when you do that, you're going to have to adjust the height of the uh, tack of the sail, the, the outboard end of your spinnaker pole. You're going to need to uh, basically... As a rule of thumb, on a symmetrical sail, you can make the tack of the sail, the outboard end of the spinnaker pole, 
about the same amount off the water as the clue. So they're, they're, they're parallel, you might say, to the water, the tack and the clue. If it, the wind comes up a little bit, the, spin, the spinnaker will rise. It will want to go up. And so you can then raise the outboard end of your spinnaker pole. And when you do that, to get the maximum uh, exposure, the extension of your spinnaker pole, you have to move the spinnaker pole up the mast. So if you have a track on the front of your mast, you have to adjust the inboard end, you to move it up and down to keep the pole parallel to the water. <clears throat> and and if it's, again, the wind gets lighter, sometimes you might want to lower the pole down, and especially the outboard end down, maybe even below parallel to the water, because this will make the sail, the spinnaker, more stable. And, of course, when you get to that point, if you're starting to lower your pole down and pull tight on the cutting on the uh, downhaul of the, uh, the fore guy of, of the pole to steady everything out, you'll want to pull the hired back up. You want to make sure that hired's back up all the way. So regarding the hired, on the old-fashioned boats uh, that, uh, where we used to race at night, or extended periods of time like the Hawaii race or Puerto Vallarta or Cabo races, we uh, tried to have the watches, the different watches. If you had a four-hour watch, we always had the oncoming watch adjust the sail at the hired a little couple inches because the line, that oh, the, the spinnaker hired that we used to have, they weren't as strong as they are now, and they used to break. So to, to lessen the load, to uh, lessen the friction – Reduce the breakage. We moved the hired uh, position when it was quite windy uh, uh, several inches to keep the hired uh, intact. And it definitely worked. So, again, here now in summary, light air, we're, we're going to have that pole on a symmetrical sail. We're going to have that pole uh, where the tack of the sail, the outboard in, is equal or lower if it's really choppy than the clue. And then as the wind comes up, the sail firms up. We're going to uh, raise the topping lift, ease the fore guy, pull the after guy back, pull the hired up if it needs it, and may keep the pole uh, basically parallel to the water so that we get the maximum extension of the spinnaker pole uh, away from the, the, uh, the boat, which will give you your best performance. We know that um, basically a foot of spinnaker pole uh, length – uh, put a spinnaker pole length was equal to about four inches on the boom on a 12 meter. So if you wanted to trade a one foot longer pole, you would have to take about four inches of uh, E, uh, reduce the foot. And that was about the equal, equal speed. So depending upon the conditions, sometimes we use sails that were longer on the foot or shorter on the foot um, on the uh, 12 meter. And I, not sure that everybody has that ability without multiple certificates in the rules that you're using right now. But that gives you some idea of the relative uh, power involved. Uh, with a foot longer pole, it's worth several inches of equals several inches of uh, mainsail E, the, the, the distance that the sail is pulled out on the, on the uh, mainsail. So the next thing about the the uh, spinnakers are that they're not uh, indestructible, and the, so the type of uh, patching material and the uh, how the sail is constructed 
you can give uh, feedback to your sailmaker if you know what you're doing and uh, you have experience in that class. So you could tell them that you you want the leeches to, uh, for instance, if you had a half-ounce sail, you could tell them that you wanted the leeches to be uh, three-quarter. And you can also uh, tell them how the tapes, how you might want the tapes applied to the sail. Because the this, the tapes, the, the nylon, I'm pretty sure it's nylon, it could be Dacron, but the nylon tapes that they put over the edge of the sail to keep them from ripping, uh, from coming apart, uh, there can be different weights of of that, and that determines how how that stretches. It's uh, used to be now the sailmakers are pretty good. It used to be that they could never put the uh, tapes on loose enough. In other words, the sail always seemed too tight compared to the tension on the tape, and that was because that the the spinnaker itself would stretch, and the, and the tapes wouldn't. So when when that happened, of course, then the tapes looked like they're on the sail tighter than they were originally, and then that, that's why not uncommon at all to see older sails or older boats or people that don't really not switched on to have a, a big curl or not a big curl but a substantial curl out at the uh, leech or the luff of the uh, of the spinnaker. It's because the the tapes are. Uh, need to be eased. So you can take your sail into any decent sailmaker. They'll unstitch that sail, uh, the tapes, and they'll uh, relax it on the floor. And you'll, you'll see, if, they, if when they do this, you'll see that sometimes on a, say, a far 40 size sail, Shock 35, J105 sail, you can see that the tapes are uh, all of a sudden three inches too short. It's because the sail has stretched and the tapes haven't. So uh, there are uh, a lot of little different techniques that you can use to make your sails uh, last longer. And don't forget, uh, these sails rip. And uh, they rip for different multiple uh, reasons. In the uh, recent Ensenada race, we were taking one of our uh, sails down and perfectly with an excellent crew, pulling it in under the boom. We should have uh, had a letterbox instead of under the boom. And so in our exuberance to pull the sail in, we got the uh, sail caught between the boom and the spinnaker sheet, the, the new spinnaker sheet. There, so quick as Jack Robinson, a little rip. We didn't notice it. We put that sail back up later, and then uh, 20 minutes later, we didn't have a sail because it ripped from luff to leech. So one mistake, small mistake, innocent mistake, can uh, lead to another. So... It's better have some good self uh, uh, sticky pack uh, sail repair there to catch your sail if, if uh, it rips early. The the other thing that's uh, handy to have um, on these uh, accessories is a takedown line. A lot of boats have a uh, takedown patch in the middle of the foot or up in the sail that you can uh, lead down to the foot and out to the tack. When you want to take your sail down, you just... Uh, Take a boat hook or reach out to the tack of the sail, get your takedown line, bring it back either through the forward hatch or uh, under the boom to uh, control the sail while it's coming down. So as far as uh, up and down goes, this is a whole other uh, subject. But many, many of the smaller boats and uh, 
where the spinning curve is not going to get out of control and where there's the windward lure uh, involved, they, when they take the spinning curve down, they don't really bring it in aft. They bring it down the forward hatch, and they don't take the sheet or guy off. Just imagine t- pulling it down and stuffing it below. They call, uh, sometimes they call this the squirrel's job. Squirrel the sail away down below. There, there's no if you leave the sheet the uh, hired's attached or at least the the sheet's attached you can take the hired off and attach it to the shrouds or the mast but th- now you know when you pu- uh, put that hired back on the sail that you don't have a twist it's going to come out the same way it went 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 down with a very good chance of being uh, set quicker than the guy that's setting that uh, sail under under the boom but uh, very important to double-check that when you take that sail down, it goes in the bag right, it doesn't come out with a twist. So uh, that's pretty much it on the spinnakers. Now, the, the other thing that we need to talk about here are staysails. And staysails are generally uh, set uh, when there's wind. Sometimes they're used as wind finders when there's no wind at all to see where the wind is really coming from. But they're set to increase the sail area uh and uh, like a jib under a jib top, you can have a, a spinnaker staysail where for broad uh, reaching and running type sail, spinnaker staysail that's got a high clue, trim well aft and quite a bit smaller than what we'd call a spinnaker staysail where the uh, the sail is, uh, is large, uh, longer on the luff and trims further forward and is a little flatter than a, t- a tall boy staysail that you would use with a high clue. And, of course, these sails are light material, two to three ounce, uh, and can be used, generally speaking, from around 70 apparent. They, they don't, if you put them up in too close on a wind angle, they'll take the spinnaker out of your A-sail or, or spinnaker and uh, cut down your performance. So you need to have the wind a little bit aft, 75, 80 degrees uh, to uh, be most effective. And they'll work up to, if there's a good breeze, you could probably use a tall boy, uh, 120, 130 degrees uh, angle. But you have to kind of experiment with it and see how your speed goes up or down and how it's uh, controlling the uh, the actual uh spinnaker itself it might make it more difficult make the spinnaker uh, more unstable so that's the biggest thing that we watch when we put up a staysail is how it's interfacing uh, with the spinnaker and of course uh, uh, it's the stability that seems to matter on the spinnaker how that flow it must have something to do with the flow of the sail because that's why the smaller spinnakers work better it's not because Boats don't like a lot of sail area. Sail area is king, but if it if you can't get your sail to settle down and relax and keep the flow attached, then you're better off with with a smaller sail. As I know I'm being a, a a little redundant there, but so that's uh, it for some basics on on the sails. We're going to revisit this and how to trim these sails in a more exact manner on uh, one of our future podcasts. So hope you, you're uh, enjoying our series uh, of podcasts, and thanks very much. 